I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, a familiar guest, has been on this podcast many times. It is author James Andrew Miller, the best-selling writer of books on CAA, ESPN, Saturday Night Live, and HBO. You may know Jim from his Origins podcast as well. And this conversation will, I think it'll primarily focus on ESPN, but we might get a little bit into uh, HBO's House of Dragons as well. And pleased to be joined by James Andrew Miller. Welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. I want to, pl- here's where I want to start. I want to play this from episode 39 of the Sports Media Podcast. That's February 12th, 2019. So more than three years ago. We're nearly on. We're nearly on 250 episodes. This is Jim Miller from episode 39 of the Sports Media Podcast. All right, Jim, I want to start at the beginning, and that is, let's just sort of go generalize. What was your reaction to Adnan Verk being fired, and um, and how do you look at that situation? Well, it made me carsick, um, and I think, you know, the truth is that we all know that there are... Uh, every day, there are a lot of conversations that happen between employees of ESPN, executives, producers, talent, otherwise, on background with creatures like us. Um, yep. We also know that this is a guy who would work there for nine years. He bled ESPN. He's got four young boys. He's got a moral compass, despite the fact that some people now are saying otherwise. And here's the other thing, too, which is how the fuck did that get leaked? Jim, I can listen to you curse all day. You believe that was three plus years ago, Adnan Verk uh, getting uh, an absolute raw deal with ESPN. You know, Jim, incredibly enough, like leaks have not stopped at ESPN. I, I, I thought that they would end with Adnan Verk. But incredibly enough, they're, they're still coming out of that place. How, how is that possible? Well, you know, I, I thought you were going to play a clip like of me telling people to sell Netflix short at $650 a share or something. Of course, it's me cursing. I think the only time I've ever done that. But um, truth be told, of course, leaks have continued and they will continue. And it's sad to think back, but the good news is that Adnan has more than survived and uh, is thriving. So, yeah, you know. I, I think that's probably the most important thing that I come away with from that. Look at you being the diplomat. Yeah, no, Adnan, uh, he's got some good gigs uh, regarding baseball and elsewhere. And um, yeah, I think he is in a in a great position. The fact is that was an absolutely bullshit firing. I mean, it, it sort of 
given given what the given what the quote unquote leak was, given like <laughs> the leaks uh, since then. But anyway, but does, I just want. Does, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it does highlight one thing that tried to discuss in the book, and that has remained somewhat constant since the book came out, which is that ESPN working at ESPN is not an entitlement program. It is very, very tough world. It's a political world. There are numerous camps. At one point, there were as many 7,000 employees. Now it's uh, several, a couple thousand less. But the point is that there are different camps. There are different sources of power underneath Jimmy or back then under underneath, even before that, underneath Skipper uh, and throughout ESPN's history. And so it's it's sometimes a difficult place to navigate and if you are perceived to be i i think outside of a certain camp or whatever and you do something that makes yourself vulnerable there are people there that are going to go for the jugular yeah um so again we're just having we have sort of had a little bit of uh of fun with Jim, but I mean, he's dead on. And Jim, I, I apologize in advance, whether it's Chris LaPlock and Mike Saltis or Josh Krulowitz when you get the call for, uh, for the, for the opening. Enjoy that. <laughs> All right. So here, but it's a good intro because here's where I want to start. Um, I like to have you on to sort of take a very writ large view of ESPN. And again, I mean, you wrote an entire book on it, so we could do a podcast that'd be like, you know, 20 hours on the different facets, you know, where they sit at the moment, they're in a great place with the NFL. They've sort of rehabbed that relationship and um, and signed their deal. New announcers with Monday Night Football. They're still on these twin paths where they're collecting um, cable sub fees while at the same time trying to build their direct-to-consumer business at ESPN+. Jimmy Pitaro not too long ago uh, re-signed uh, for ESPN. So very clearly Bob Chapek and company are... Um, are happy with the job he's done. You know, I would say even with all the ESPN's going to sell, ESPN's going to, you know, all the alarmists out there who sort of think the business is in trouble. The business is doing well, Jim, in my opinion, and they even have this ace in the hole. And if they ever decide to actually cut a big time deal with a gambling company, they're looking at potentially billions of dollars coming in. So I don't know if, you know, I, 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 I don't know if ESPN is going to spin off. I don't know if they're not. I don't know what ESPN is going to be in 10 years from now. But if you're asking me about ESPN at the moment, ESPN seems like a pretty healthy place to me at the moment, business-wise. But you're more of an expert on this than me. How do you No, I think, it? listen, I think you you gave a pretty good answer to your question. All right, goodbye. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, look, I think one of the things that I find most provocative about ESPN right now as we sit here uh, at the end of 2022 is that – its future in terms of the business model is fundamentally unstable. And you have to go back a long way for, I mean, in the early days of ESPN, uh, not to bore everybody with early ESPN history, but people would run to the bank when they got their paychecks because they didn't know if there was enough money uh, to, to, to give them their salary. But for, for the better part of its history, ESPN has been on terra firma because of that dual revenue stream that you just alluded to, uh, cable fees and advertising. And it was massive. You know, as much as I enjoyed Bob Iger's book, I thought ESPN's role was greatly diminished in it uh, because when you think about all those 
Pixar and Marvel and all those things that Disney did for many years, ESPN was throwing off double-digit billion-dollar revenues. They were throwing off a ton of money. And they Disney was smartly used that cash to buy a lot of acquisitions. And they were there were times that they were worried that about a la carte. It seems so innocent now. They had a big lobbying effort in Washington, DC, because they were afraid that people like my mother, who paid, you know, whatever she paid for her monthly cable bill and never turned on ESPN, why were they getting five, six, seven dollars a month of, of, of that bundle? But Look, at one point, they were in close, basically 100 million homes. You multiply that times $7 a month, it gets pretty serious very fast. So they were worried about that. They beat that back. But then, of course, came direct-to-consumer. I think right now, it's about between 30 and 40% of people who are looking to streaming to, to you know, when they go to TV, it's going to become more. The households that ESPN is in now has dropped below 75 million, if I'm correct. And so there is this uncertainty in part because not only because of what's going to happen with streaming, but most importantly, is there a financial rainbow at the end of streaming? Let's just say that you kick ass with streaming and you have all these subscribers. Just because you have subscribers doesn't mean that you're going to ever have the kind of profits and the kind of money that you're going to that that you're able to pile off of uh, from the cable bundle, and so I think there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a you know a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of people told me there were rumors in Burbank that they were cutting Jimmy off, uh, so to speak, in terms of ESPN reducing its financial aggressiveness uh, in future acquisitions. Uh, I think you saw some of that in the Big Ten deal. It was, uh, I mean, obviously Jimmy did a great job with the NFL and with the SEC and much to CBS's dismay, but wasn't able to engineer that Big Ten deal. And I think that hurt. But at the same time, you know, you have a big NBA deal coming up uh, sooner than we all realize. And that's going to be, there's the, there's the paradox. It's going to be incredibly expensive at a time when a lot of these companies don't have the war chest that they used to have. But if history has proven anything, as, they, as it, we saw with the NFL, these companies are going to find a way to pay for it. And so... I was just, yeah, I was just going to ask you, I, I, I want to just follow up on this. How concerned should ESPN, I guess really in this case we're saying about Pataro, how concerned should Pataro be about... Amazon, Apple, and these companies whose primary business is not sports, it's something else, and they have endless amounts of money in theory to, to, to go get what they want. The only thing that holds us back, Jim, is the leagues have to decide if they want to go with the streamers, you know? And like, if the NBA all of a sudden decides, hey, you know what? Apple's $10 billion or Amazon's $10 billion looks pretty good, and we're going to scale back with ESPN and Turner. I don't think that's going to happen in the NBA, just so the audience knows. But how concerned should guys like Pataro be about these new players? I think they would. I I think they're smart to be concerned, in in the sense that it's not that they're going to take over their business, but there may be inventory, there may be certain deals that that they can get. I mean, look, I don't I don't think ESPN wanted Thursday Night Football, so the fact that it's on Amazon 
isn't crushing yes, to them. But I think it's instructive to note that Amazon is doing Thursday Night Football. They're putting together a great broadcast. Unfortunately, they've been screwed over by some of the worst games since the invention of pink pigskin. But that's not their fault. And so I think what's going to happen is you're going to see uh, probably with Amazon and certainly look, Apple can find change in their proverbial couch that could pay for some of these right situations that some of these other companies are, are, are struggling with. And so if it's a, if it's a financial challenge, it could be really brutal. But I think at the end of the day, the leagues want to make sure that they're at the places that people know about. Um, I want to ask you about um, ESPN and gambling because, you know, they've my my assessment of them would be that they've slowly leaned into this. They're not all in. You're not seeing their games sort of littered with odds and stuff like that. But they certainly have gambling shows. ESPN Plus, I think, uh, has some sports gambling inventory or information shows you see it a little bit on dot com but jim if nothing else if they decide to really go all in or if i should really be specific if disney decides to go all in you are looking in, at a game-changing numerical figure depending on what they do or a deal that they cut um from your perspective how do you see the possible impact of going really all in with sports gambling and disney as it relates to espn well, you know, it's it's like when they asked Willie Sutton, Marty Rob Banks, he says, "Well, that's where the money is." <laughs> so I think that in a in a challenging time that we were talking about just ten minutes ago, you can't ignore a growing sector like gambling. I think they've been, I think they have been slow in terms of jumping in all the way, like they did with three D television. Remember that, uh, and you never yeah. know how it's going to be perceived. You also don't know. In this case, some of the political or social repercussions of it. Look, there are still a lot of people who are concerned about this driving a whole new generation of addicts and 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 causing people severe problems in their lives. You know, gambling has you can find people to acquit or convict all the time. So I think that they've been probably smart to be so judicious in their moves. But I also believe if you start to look at some of the numbers that are coming through these states that have adopted it, they're big and they're important. And uh, so I don't see them going back on it. And and in, in a way, you can start to see that they might be saying to themselves, look, if we're really going to be losing X in the cable bundle, we have to do everything we can, including gambling, to, to, to offset it and, and get into it in a bigger way. I want to add, talk to you. I want to uh, spend the next couple of minutes on talent. Um, in we, we're taping this um, on a week where in the athletic, I wrote about um, Stephen A. Smith uh, promoting his podcast. By the way, just for full disclosure, Stephen A. Smith's podcast is a collaboration between his production company and Cadence Thirteen. I, I think anyone listening just knows that my podcast is on uh, Cadence Thirteen, independent of the athletic. So just sort of get that out there so people know. So I, I asked, because um, I thought it was interesting, Jim. So Stephen A., um, who has a long interest in politics and has been on political shows. In fact, when he was in the wilderness from ESPN, he did a lot of po- political uh, guest spots. He, he go, he's he gone on Fox News uh, multiple shows to promote his, his podcast 
and he's had um I know he had Sean Hannity I believe on his podcast so the larger point is he he's been going on politically oriented shows not being shy about offering commentary in politics ESPN regarding this says that um, this is a request that Stephen A made we respect that he has this other show and we grant him permission to do this I don't that those I'm paraphrasing but those are my words. And so, like, I think that's great. I think all ESPN talent, by the way, if they feel passionate about something, should be allowed on any show. So this is sort of what I asked them. I'm like, okay, you're allowing Stephen A to do this. So if there's, like, a, a person at ESPN who's just so passionate about an issue away from sports, can they go on Fox News or Sirius POTUS or MSNBC? And what do you think ESPN's response was? We, we take individual requests uh when they come in most of our requests for talent are uh sports based i read between the lines as Stephen a's got jordan rules guys like Schefter and joe buck and troy aikman have jordan rules and not everybody has jordan rules so how do you see it again it's uh it's more of a thought exercise for you than a specific question but uh i thought it was interesting you were just talking about espn's repaired its relationship with the nfl and uh when jimmy took the job there were two things on his plate, first and foremost. One was, first, fixing things with the NFL. Second was making sure that politics and sports were separated. Now, Jimmy did a very good job on the first. Forces beyond his control on a national level, including George Floyd and other things, made keeping politics and sports separate oh, impossible. I mean, the toothpaste is out of the tube. If you look at ESPN talent feeds, even though no one really goes as as deep as like Jamel used to when she was at ESPN or whatever, I think that it's very clear that ESPN talent, they have to be warned about it in, in terms of the, from probably from their agents in their own minds about going too far because we live in such a polarized devi divisive world. But I think there is that marriage there. You know, I once was going, I was once had a meeting with Skipper. I think I was interviewing him about something. And I was waiting in the corporate offices at ABC New, ABC Corporate on uh, West 66th and uh, sitting there in the lobby. And then uh, they said, he's just finishing up his last meeting. And out walked Stephen A. Smith and he just looked miserable. And I walked into Skipper's office. I said, God, Stephen A. looked miserable. He goes, Yeah, he's leaving the company. He's leaving the company. And that was, you know, back whenever I forget what year it was. But you have to you have to think back on the fact that Stephen A was voted off the island, came back and put together one of the most impressive comebacks in ESPN history. And then and then I think the most impressive, by the way. Not and, one and then Mark Shapiro wise, there's no better comeback negotiated. Uh, a deal that's enough to make you a Bolshevik. I mean, that, you know, particularly at a time when when other ESPN talent were taking severe cuts, Stephen A went, you know, north of 12 million. And um, and I think so. Let's just use that as a starting point. It's, it's just an amazing journey that he's been on. Uh, I think, you know, look, one of the things that Stephen A. going on Hannity shows not only about friendship, but also, you know, sports is not enough for Stephen A. Sports is going to be home base, but I think this is a guy who wants to actively contribute to the dialogue on, uh, of the culture, of, of politics, of everything. I, I think that, you know, if Neil deGrasse Tyson 
came up with a new set of planetary principles about planetary particle physics or something like that. And Stephen A. was able to read on it. He wouldn't hesitate to give an opinion on it. He, he's not shy. He wants to make his opinions known. And I think he's he's interested in a lot of things. Um, it does get confusing, though. And I think that your question to ESPN, even though they can answer with, we're going to do this on a case-by-case basis, it gets very, very tricky because exceptionalism is difficult. You know, and they still have, I mean, the, the problem is, for the talent, though, that there's not that many pieces of talent. I hate to call them that, but it sounds like meat, but that ESPN feels like they can't live without. It used to be, okay, used to be like Berman, Simmons, John Gruden, when they had Monday Night Football, there were probably like, you could put together 15 people, you know, and oh my gosh, we need this one for Chris Fowler for, for you know, college game day. And we can't imagine this without... That list has gotten very small. And in fact, one of the things that you see in negotiations now when ESPN management is dealing with talent, they basically, a lot of times, they throw out a number and they say, this is, look, somebody is making like one five. The number is like this, we're going to pay him 850 or her. And they and the manager the agent says, what are you talking about? That's like, yeah, well, that's that's all we can do right now. That's all we're going to do. So, well, wait a second. That's 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 crazy. You know, so and so has been here for so long and has such a following and whatever. ESPN doesn't care. They care about making sure that they are financially rigorous and they are making sure that they are not dependent on, you know, so many individual talents. And they also know and they're comforted by the fact that, I mean, obviously, when it comes to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and others at that level there's a big marketplace and there's a feeding frenzy. But if you're talent and you're like a sports center ranker or you're doing shoulder programming for even the NFL or NBA or whatever, um, you know, they don't think that there's a lot of, they're, they're either willing to lose you or they're willing to call your bluff that you're going to be able to get as much as you want someplace else. And so that has fundamentally changed the equation. And uh, it used to be, you know, like back in the glory days of Nick Khan and others, they would have long, long buck sheets with all their clients and all these big numbers next to them. Um, those things don't happen anymore. So I would be very careful if I'm a ES ESPN talent going to management saying, well, you let Stephen A do it. And unless you let me do it, I'm going to create a stink because it, it, you just may not survive it. That's good. All right. So two things there. One. Every place has these um, – the reality is rules are different for for some than others. Like Ken Rosenthal at The Athletic can do things that I can't do. It's just that's the reality of sort of life. He's a, he's a, he's a larger name. I will say, though, Jim, that I think you have to concur with this, and I think you just sort of did. If Chris McKendry, Dan Orlovsky, or Booger McFarland went to ESPN today and said, I'm incredibly passionate about – and we'll sort of put it under the large framework of politics issue X. And I want to go on said show that's a news-oriented show. I got to believe none of those guys are getting permission. I, I think it is a very small group of people at the end of the day. Stephen A. And maybe Schefter and Wojnarowski and Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and you know, maybe Herb Street. Like I think there are certain people, like you said, 
where I feel like the talent has more leverage than the organization, if that's the right way to frame it. But everybody else, like you said, be very careful. And if you were an agent, you'd tell them, don't, don't be making requests that, you know, you, 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 you can't live with when they say no. But remember something else though. A lot of those people, they're where they're at because of their vast bases of support, right? They either have incredible Twitter followings like Woj does or Schefter, or they're just, they're so above class in their, in their sector that because of their popularity. And a lot of them don't want to risk that popularity by going on, on a show that could be potentially divisive and cause an uproar. Stephen A doesn't care. I mean, that's, that's one of the, I think one of the takeaways from this, I, 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 even if Woj, I mean, I'm just using it as an example and maybe I'm wrong, even if he's best friends with Rachel Maddow or Sean Hannity and he gets invited on that show, I I don't think he goes. A lot of those people are not, don't want to do that. They want to just be Switzerland politically and they just want to focus on what they do for a living. Stephen A is an outlier. And I think he's 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 got a ton of gumption, and he has uh, he has interests well beyond the field. So I don't think that management is worried that they're going to be all of a sudden flooded with a ton of requests. All right, two more two more things, and I want to end on House of Dragons because I'm uh, I'm so into the show, and you obviously uh, wrote the book on HBO. Um, I love talking to you about sort of talent salaries at ESPN and sort of wish casting or forecasting a bit. The last time I had you on, I don't remember what month it was, but we started talking about the the shrinking middle class at ESPN. Uh, a lot of on-air people obviously were asked to take pay cuts, some absurd over-the-top pay cuts. Kenny Mayne was a perfect example of, uh, of that um, when he told me he had to take a 61% uh, pay cut, which one, I appreciate Kenny Mayne being a specific, but two, it gave you illuminating, it sort of illuminated and gave you insight into where ESPN was. But it strikes me, Jim, that again, like the future of ESPN is like, I don't know, 10 gigantic high priced people. And then, um, and then whatever the, um, sort of standardized payment is for, um, you know, on air talent, however you want to frame that in whatever year, we're talking about do you see it that way or am i am i off here like a like yeah, a, no i just like a wealth class a, a shrinking middle class and then i'm not nobody no none of these people are going to the you know to the bowery we're all talking about first world problems here but within these first world problems that's how i see it no i just alluded to it i think it's actually a shrinking upper class and an expanding middle class oh okay interesting because those numbers have come down but let's let's if you want to let's get specific about it okay um, all right i believe unless I'll stand corrected, but I believe Chris Fowler's deal is up next year. And I don't believe he's extended early. So Chris Fowler is, I mean, I just, I love the guy personally, but I also admire him professionally. Yeah, he great does, talent. He does tennis. He does football. He is a good, great employee. He also, I don't know for people who are listening and follow him on Instagram, he's gotten kind of, New agey. Yeah, he's Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, he's a self-help. He believes in uh, self-help. He's always been But it's not uh, he, he and his wife they're always in they're really into fitness and sort of uh good living, healthy living. It's not icky. He does it in a really great way. And I would yeah. say that you know there's probably I mean he he works damn hard, but 
there's probably something for him in that space as well if he ever wants to expand his empire. But let's just let's just take Chris as an example. So he's making a healthy living, um, probably not as much as uh, his representatives would would want, um, or maybe they they were pleased at the last deal. But obviously, when they go in, they're going to want more. That's that's the operative word, right? Or at least to stay the same, I would guess. Um, but ESPN has spent the last several years whittling away at people, um, as we've discussed, um, big, big name anchors. I don't want to call any of them out because it's not fair, but, but there's a lot of people on ESPN now who are still there, but they have, they have really caved to ESPN's stringent new approach to salaries. And yes. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you you need leverage, right? And if you don't have leverage, you know, somebody says, "Hey, we're asking you to go from three hundred to one ninety, and you don't have another offer. What are you going to do? You can't turn down one hundred ninety thousand dollars a year." You know, I'm just using these arbitrary numbers, but you know what I'm saying? No, exactly, exactly. So I think Fowler will be a really interesting case study to to follow because he's not at the crazy. You know, 15 plus that Aikman and Bucker are. He's not in Stephen A territory, but he's a guy who makes a really, really good living and deserves to make a good living. And let's see what ESPN's appetite for keeping a Fowler is. There won't be anybody at ESPN who will say, we don't want to keep Chris Fowler. But are there going to be people who are going to be dare I say, audacious enough to say we only want to keep Chris Fowler at a certain price. I mean, to me, that sounds crazy, but let's see how far this discipline of theirs extends. And yeah, that's an, that's a good, that's an interesting, sorry to interrupt you. That's an interesting one to watch. I mean, particularly because they could, they could cross their hands and say, where else are you going to get tennis? We own, we basically own tennis. Skipper, Skipper got three of the four grand slams, Right. I mean, where else are you going to do that? Um, they spent 20, $27 billion or more on college football. Uh, where else are you going to get the college kind of college football that we have? Um, I mean, you could do it, but is CBS going to spend that money? Is uh, is Fox going to spend the money? Who knows? And then he'd have to give up tennis. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a very tricky situation. I hope ESPN will do the right thing. I mean, Chris deserves it. But I think that's if you, you know, if you really want to put a specific kind of case study on it, I think that's one to watch. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm glad it's, Fowler's a really interesting case. And I'm glad you brought that up. And it's not it's unquestionably his talent is uh, undeniable. I think if you're Fowler, Jim, I'm just going to use him as an example. You know, unless you've obviously blown all your money, which I'm sure he has not. I think at this point in his career, doing these events that he loves, you know, U.S. Open final and Wimbledon final, and obviously the number one college football, that that's where you, to me, like you just you figure out whatever the number is, and you don't try to push the envelope. Like Fox, like or NBC, going for Chris Fowler, and you know, paying him more money than he would get at ESPN. I don't know if he gets the job satisfaction of those events if he leaves ESPN at the same time, like, you know, you don't want to take a gigantic pay cut. You have a certain value that you think you have in the, the marketplace, but that, I don't know without knowing anything. I haven't talked to Fowler, no, but it used to be, look, it used to be, I think it'll, I think they'll figure that out, but it used to be, I used, would get calls from ESPN. If I did talk, talk about somebody's salary and they'd say, Oh God, why do you have to do that? And we got a, 
a line outside our office now. Everybody's saying, oh, since so-and-so is making such and such, you know, now I want to make such and such. It would be it was a real problem when salaries became public or when like Tom Rinaldi basically doubled his salary, uh, you know, leaving ESPN and going to Fox. There was, you know, the same thing happened over at Fox. But it that doesn't happen now. And and as a result, or at least it doesn't happen for a lot of people. And as a result, there's there's just a, a lot more instability and more uncertainty when you're going into a contract year. All right, let's finish up with this. Um, you wrote the book on HBO, uh, which I highly recommend to anybody who's into HBO. And they have found um, that I don't want to call it a successor, but they have they have had great critical success so far with their adjacent to Game of Thrones show, House of Dragons. Um, my sense is, without knowing anything, like it costs just a crazy amount of money to produce and put on. But they have, you know, I think, Jim, it's always tough, in my opinion, when you have this like a hit show and you try to do some adjacent programming to create a similar hit. I feel like the Star Wars people on Disney have done it. Awesome. Like I love Andor and um, and I'm one who've watched all these short run series, the Obi-Wan series, Boba Fett. But I really love House of Dragons. I think they're doing a phenomenal job. When you were, if you can give my listeners just some insight, you, you know, you obviously did a lot on the history of Game of Thrones and how that came to be. And so what's your just sort of impressions on how it looks like they have now found their, you know, content sequel to this. And it seems like they're going to have, you know, as long as they're investing the money, I feel like they got to show that they can put on for four or five years. Uh, that's going to be a big hit and draw great interest. Well, in the book, I was able to report that they canceled a previous project that they didn't have faith in. And I think looking back, that was obviously a wise decision because you don't get a lot of chances. Uh, you basically get one chance to show the audience when you're going to continue a franchise. Game of Thrones was the most popular, profitable series in HBO history. And and so as a result, uh, you have now, I mean, you got to give Casey Bloys and Franny Francesca Orsi and her team, there's a lot of credit to be spread around about the fact that they pulled this off. There's no guarantees you could have wound up with Jaws too. I mean, so the fact that they were able to keep the George R. R. Martin flagship speeding along merrily is is important. And it's particularly important given the fact that HBO and HBO Max is in such a critical, critical competitive environment now, uh, particularly given its new owners and the financial rigor that they've been put under. So I, I think it shows that HBO still is doing incredible work. HBO is capable of continuing to produce great, great fare. And yes, it will certainly open up options for the future. At some point in shows like this, you you might have somebody say, look, I know it's going to be popular, but it's going to also cost us, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And we can't swing for the fences like that. That that could happen. I don't think so, because these franchises bring in a lot, a, a, a lot of eyeballs. The biggest problem facing everyone now, though, is and, and this adds to the uncertainty, of course, that we were talking about at the very beginning. It's so easy to cancel. 
You know, I mean, we grew up where you, you cancel the cable, you got to make an appointment with the cable guy. And then somehow you got to figure out how to reconnect your cable to the back of the TV without the box being there. And I mean, whatever. And, and then if you think, oh, my gosh, we may want it in a month or two, you're going to have to. Now you do it from your phone. And so, you know, are there people that are that are watching this House of Dragons? And and then all of a sudden when it's over, they're going to click off probably there are some, but that's why you have Mike White doing the sequel to White Lotus, or you have, um, you know, as, as much of that other stuff that's talkative and, 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 and really attracts eyeballs as possible. So it, it's just everything, everything is harder, Richard. Everything is harder. The stakes are higher and the uncertainty is at an all time high. That's the environment that everyone is working in, both in terms of the creative side, people who are creating content, people who are managing content, and people who are following it on Wall Street. All right. Is there? A, do you want to curse about anybody or anything before we get out of here? One okay. time. No, I, no, no. You're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. James Andrew Miller is the best-selling author of books on CAA, ESPN, Saturday Night Live, and HBO. Uh, always great to to talk about um, where ESPN is ESPN is at the moment with him. Is there anything you want to promote, Jim? Before we get out of here, you got any upcoming projects or I'm writing? Getting back yeah. on the Origins bandwagon and uh, have a bunch of uh, new chapters coming out, and excited about that. All right, we'll look for that wherever you can get uh, your podcast. All right, Jim, you'll be back as you know. Thank you so much today for joining me on the Sports Media. Thanks for having me. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Jim Miller, as always, for uh, coming on and uh, giving me some of his insight and time. Uh, head to the archives. There should be uh, some uh, episodes that you will find of interest. Uh, last couple, we had a long conversation with Bob Costas, which people seem to enjoy. I had Chad Finn on for some uh, sports media talk this week, as well as uh, Meredith Shiner talking about her new podcast on the intersection of Jews and sports done a lot of stuff on this podcast on the coverage of Brett Favre and Mississippi's welfare scandal so you can go back into the archives and see some of that stuff as well as conversations with some behind the scenes NFL people including Thursday Night Football and Prime Video executive producer Fred Gadelli and lead director Pierre Musa. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work on this podcast. Thanks to everybody at Cadence 13. Again if you like the stuff that you've been doing please leave us a five star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast All right, we'll be back very soon. But until then, thanks for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast.